In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We're told in the Psalms, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Mother's Day honors the sacrifices that mothers have made for their children. And the Bible consistently asks his followers to honor and to love their mothers. We're told, honor your father and your mother. And in the book of Leviticus, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Down to the ages, the concept of motherhood has always been revered, even on the natural level. And the concept of motherhood has been enhanced very much by the lofty Christian view in which motherhood takes on an almost sacred character. This is reflected very much in the paintings of the birth of Christ in Bethlehem by the Renaissance painters in the 16th century. Motherhood is not a hobby, it's a calling. You don't collect children because you find them cuter than stamps. It's not something to do if you can squeeze the time in. It's what God has given you time for. And often motherhood has come to represent everything that our culture hates. Because motherhood represents the laying down of your life for another. <clears throat> and the laying down of your life for another represents the gospel. The Bible is very clear about the value of children. Jesus loved them. Let the little children come unto me. We're commanded to love them. We're meant to imitate God and take pleasure in our children. Kimberly Han, the wife of Scott Han, before she converted, said that she scoured the Bible in order to try and find somewhere where children are spoken of in a derogatory manner, or that they're seen some way as a curse, in order to justify her position on contraception. But to her amazement, she couldn't find a single instance where the Bible ever speaks badly about children. Children were always seen as a blessing. And so we have to try and work at that vocation to motherhood. Children know the difference between a mother who's saving face to a stranger and a mother who defends their life and their worth with her smile, her love. 
and her absolute loyalty. That doesn't mean that she never says no to her children. Stenson likes to say that no is also a loving word. Children need to hear words of loving self-denial from time to time. It's one of the ways they learn to say no to themselves. Mothers are called to live the gospel in the things that no one sees. To sacrifice themselves for their children in places that only the children will know about. They're called to put the value of their children ahead of their own. To help them to grow up in the clean air of gospel living. John Paul II liked to talk a lot about a human ecology. In the world today, we hear a lot about ecological matters. But he said the most important ecology is a human ecology, not just a, a rat free or a insect free environment or a cockroach free environment, but a, an environment fundamentally that's healthy for the soul for all the higher aspects of the human person. And so the testimony that a mother gives to the gospel in the little details of her life is of more, valuable, more value to her children than she can possibly imagine. If you tell your children the gospel, but you don't live it, they will never believe it. And so mothers are called to give their life for their children every day, joyfully, to lay down their pettiness, lay down their fussiness, lay down their resentments about the dishes, about the laundry, about how one knows, no one knows how hard you work. Motherhood is one of the most important roles that our Lord has assigned to women. I was in a get-together once in a university residence with a hundred male university residents, and it was in Pamplona in Spain. And after lunch every day, there was a get-together that everyone was supposed to attend, but it competed with the siesta. So it usually had about 30% attendance. If there was an invited guest, which was always a male, the attendance might go to 50%. But one day they invited a lady and suddenly the attendance was 100%. Nobody wanted to miss this historical occasion. This lady was a mother of eight children. She was a professor of psychology. And in the get together, she began to talk about what it meant to be a mother. I wondered if she had got her topic wrong, as these were all first year university students, they were never going to be mothers. But as I looked around the room, I found that all the jaws were hanging open. They all knew what a mother was, but it never entered their head for one moment to think about what it meant to be a mother. And this mother said that a mother has to be different things to her growing children at different stages of their development. 
To the two-year-old, she has to be the diaper changer <clears throat> because that's one of the most crucial services that she provides. To the five or six-year-old, she has to be the mom that gets down on her hands and knees and plays with a doll's house from time to time. To the 10-year-old son, she has to be the good-looking mom, puts on a bit of makeup, some earrings, gets her hair done, so that when she comes to collect her son from school, he can elbow his friends and say, that's my mom over there, the good-looking one. And to the 16-year-old, she has to be the intellectual mom, who knows how to carry on an intellectual conversation with her budding intellectual child. And doesn't give the impression that the last time that an idea went through her head was before she got married. And so this lady gave a very interesting description in just a few sentences of what it meant to be a mother, the challenges of motherhood. It was reminiscent of what St. Paul says, that we have to be all things to all men. St. Paul in his letter to Titus says that women are expected to love their husbands and children, to be pure-minded, self-controlled, to care for the home and be kind and dutiful to their husbands. A mother teaches her child everything that she knows, right from talking, to walking, to living a fulfilling life. She's also the one who disciplines and educates a child for a better living. Right from getting up to sleeping, a mother teaches all she knows. In the Psalms, motherhood is seen as a blessing. It says children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring of a reward from him. They're full of hope. In the book of Proverbs, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. The book of Proverbs talks about them being full of joy. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also and he replaces her. They're worthy of honor, we're told in St. Paul to the Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. In St. Paul to Timothy, Mother is spoken of as a gift from the Lord. One of the ways we can glorify and serve him. It offers many opportunities to grow in our understanding of God's mercy, love and grace. Motherhood is sanctifying, but it's also sweet. The book of Proverbs also says that mothers point their children towards Christ by praying for them, modeling their faith and character, training them in wisdom. Somebody wants to find character as that's what you have left when you lose everything else. 
It's often the mother who shapes that, what you have left, that's there for always. Christian mothers in history have always made a great contribution. <clears throat> in the book of Timothy, we're told about Lois and Eunice. Paul says that the sincere faith that Timothy possesses was from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. It seems that even though godly men were lacking in Timothy's upbringing, the influence of these women helped form him into the pastor and leader he became for the benefit of the whole early church. St. Monica had great influence on her son Augustine's life. Her example and her prayers, even without support from her husband, eventually led Augustine to the Lord. In his autobiography, he says that his mother shed more tears for my spiritual death than other mothers shed for the bodily death of a son. And he became one of the leading theologians of the early church. In practice, the woman is the primary educator. James Stenson likes to say that every baby that comes into the world does so as a self-satisfying hedonistic gorilla. I want my milk and I want it now. And I'm going to scream and scream and scream until I get my milk, even if it's three in the morning, because I am the most important person in the world. It says the role of parents is to turn this little gorilla into an adult. An adult is not somebody who can take care of themselves because a dog or a cat or a household plant can do that. An adult is fundamentally someone who can take care of others. Someone who can forget about themselves. That's what love is. And John Paul II says that these great lessons that a child learns, learns them fundamentally from the mother. The father has a role to play, but the mother has a much greater role to play. I often like to encourage kids to go home and ask your mum, what was my pregnancy like? How did you feel as you carried me for nine months? And what was my labour like? Contraction by contraction. These are good questions to ask our mothers. Because then we know who has sacrificed themselves so much for us. And so children are often closest to their mother in their early years. They need her as a constant point of reference. And the mother is endowed with a number of specific dispositions to help this. The ability to feed the infant from her own body and shows the closeness of the relationship. Radical feminists tend to view a man as woman's arch enemy, or in the best of cases as her, her rival. The Christian view is that men and women are made for each other, they complement each other. They don't complete each other because they're already complete as persons, they complement each other. And the closer they come to God, the more beautiful will their relationship be. 
by developing and purifying his own male characteristics, the man will become the woman's ideal help, friend, and companion. And it's by becoming truly feminine that a woman can give man the greatest human gift, true love, self-donation, the gift of self. A woman will not fulfill herself and realize her complete potential if she doesn't develop her specific feminine faculties and prepare herself for maternity, from the spiritual point of view at least, whatever about physically. Some writers say that nothing characterizes the state of the world today more deeply and more tragically than the complete absence of the maternal outlook. To the radical feminists, the problems of women's plight can largely be solved only by taking the woman out of the home. Whereas women need to develop their special capacity to love, to accentuate their natural attention to personal needs, maternal sensibility. To the masculine professional world, woman brings a more human dimension. Christian motherhood is about raising children for eternity. Their souls have been entrusted to me. Souls, Lord, souls, they're for you, they're for your glory. The soul of this child is destined to live forever. And so the mother is the queen of the family, the corner on which the whole foundation of the human community rests. So the contribution made by women to the family and human relations can be very great. It should be protected in law, perhaps remunerated. Mindful of the fact that the gospel is caught, it's not taught. The documents of the Second Vatican Council like to talk about the domestic church. It's a very powerful phrase, the church of the home. The church where the child learns so many things, grows up in a spirit of faith. John Paul II liked to say that the family is the school of deeper humanity, school of love, school of self-giving, school of the soul. It's through this that we build the civilization of love, the culture of life. And so we have to learn how to build the domestic church. And we never stop building. When we enrich ourselves with a deeper spirituality, with deeper ideas, greater affection, greater education, we're enriching the gift of self that we make to our spouse and to our children. We cannot give what we do not have. So we have to continually work at that greater formation. We need to be a Mary who sits at the feet of Christ, not a Martha who just gets the job done. Children can smell hypocrisy a mile off. 
Our mothering starts with loving the Lord with our own heart and soul and might. Love for God is inextricably linked to the act of taking hold of God's word and passing it on to our children day in and day out like a baton in a relay. Love for God and obeying his design for godly parenting cannot be separated. And so it's a role that never ends. If children get to a certain age, mid-teens, and they know all your lectures, but it may be the time for the mother to go silent, to use the supernatural means more, to grow in faith and trust in God, and to keep her mouth shut in order to have a greater influence. Silence can be golden. If a mother objects to being her child's teacher, well, the Bible takes issue with that. Your work as a mum is done line upon line, precept upon precept, over a long period of time. And so Christian motherhood is not a fixed term contract. One mother says, I have more opportunities to teach my teenagers today than I ever did when they were small. We talk about everything, from politics to evolution, from transgenderism to the post-truth culture that is shaping everything they learn at school and university. Our children need to become thinkers as opposed to robots who simply process information and accept ideas without exploring the implication for all of life. Our children need to learn what we're told in the letter of St. Peter to give a reason for the hope that is within them. But all these conversations are built on the earthly foundation. They remember the time spent reading, reciting memory verses and praying together. The Holy Spirit who comes down upon them makes sure that his word does not come back empty. And so small family habits, rituals, casual conversations over many years do not have the power to save our children but they like the careful laying down of paper, twigs and firelighters in the hearth, ready for the Holy Spirit to light the match and breathe life into their hearts. I was working for a surgeon once so over an operation one morning, I was saying how he was going out the door of his house the previous night to some surgical meeting and his eldest son, maybe 10 or 11, asked him a question. The question wasn't very clear. There was something else behind the question. He was going out the door, his coat was on. And so he stopped where he was going, took off his coat, sat down with his 11-year-old son until he got to the bottom of the question. And then went off to his meeting. He said, I arrived 45 minutes late, but I had a good conversation with my son. And so sometimes those questions can come like the thief in the night, the wrong moment at the wrong time. But often those are very important opportunities 
and the monumental task of Christian motherhood, it can be easy to feel that your potential is being wasted, that your work is futile, endless, and invisible. But your mothering matters to the King of Kings. He made you in his own image to be fruitful and multiply, to rule and reign over his creation, which is your home for much of your life. Your work is not just giving birth, putting food on the table, and tolerating your children until they're civilized. It's correcting and training your children day by day, building good habits and creating order from chaos, just as God did at creation. Our Lord invites us to try and live like great human beings so that we can teach our children what that means so that they can grow to be great human beings and build great families, a whole new civilization of love. And for that, we have to lean on Christ, derive our love from the sacraments, from his sacred heart. On those days when we might be staggering from an unbearable weight, or find yourself controlling your family with an iron fist, Remember that parenting is God's work, not yours. Jesus is the boss and the savior, not you. And so moms need to learn early about the hidden power of surrender. Surrender in rest and restoration. Surrender in repentance. Surrender in prayer. Surrender independence, because it's not all up to you. Christian mothers have to try and honor and encourage their family. St. Paul says those beautiful words, keep encouraging one another. Every child needs encouragement, needs affection, has a heart. Don't waste a single day on needless fretting. Keep looking into the eyes of your children and know that God loves these little people deeply. He invited all the children to come to him. And God has entrusted them specifically to you so that you would lead them to himself. And he has not made a mistake in making you the mother of your children. They're your home group, your mission field, and your closest community. And your work is never done. Your children are the lambs you feed first. Because you've been appointed as their shepherd. They're your first port of call for Christ's great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Starting at home, we have to teach them to observe all that Christ has taught us. And so use 
those ordinary simple moments when the family is together to say the morning offering or the prayer to the guardian angel or the angelus or the Regina Chaley or a bit of the rosary or to practice some devotion or some act of piety. If we believe all the truth that's in the gospel, well, then this is one job we have to do diligently. Some writers say that every culture that becomes increasingly anti-feminine, it detaches itself from its ties to the eternal, the divine. Children begin to rank below college, below world travel, below the ability to go out at night at your leisure, below honing your body at the gym, below any job you may have to get or hope to get. Children can rank below everything. Now, the last thing you should ever spend your time on. But Christianity teaches the opposite. As do many other religions. There's a beautiful Buddhist prayer from the Buddhist scriptures that talks about motherhood and her love for a child. It says the kindness of providing protection and care while the child is in the womb. The kindness of bearing suffering during childbirth. The kindness of forgetting all the pain once the child is born. The kindness of eating the bitter herself and saving the sweet for the child. The kindness of suckling the child at her breast and nourishing and bringing up the child. The kindness of washing away the unclean. The kindness of always thinking of the child when it has traveled far. The kindness of deep care and devotion. The kindness of ultimate pity and sympathy. And so on this Mother's Day, well, we could try and do something for mothers. Be more pro-life. John Paul II says in the Gospel of Life, we have to be unconditionally pro-life. Be generous in your gestures of respect, of courtesy and appreciation for mothers. Hold a door for her. Say something nice to a woman who is with child. Let her go first in the queue. Give her your seat. Admire a young, children with, young mother with small children. Look for compliments. Because possibly her mother or her aunt is complaining. Another one? Don't you know how to count? She needs to hear those compliments, those little bits of encouragement. I was at a medical conference in Singapore in 1999. There was a, a Canadian professor of obstetrics speaking. He said a couple of interesting things, but one of them encouraged all the doctors present to try and do something for mothers for the 21st century. He said the United Nations and radical feminists talk about women, women, women. The Catholic Church talks about mothers, mothers, mothers. He held up the document of the United Nations about women and the Gospel of Life of the Holy See of John Paul II. And he said, here are two organizations talking about the same thing, but saying completely different things. It would be interesting to be informed about the maternal mortality rate in the developing world. 
leaves an awful lot to be desired. There are some home truths there. A lot of organizations talk about women, 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 but they forget all about mothers. And so that professor of obstetrics has written articles that says, who cares about mothers? Look at the statistics. Often the medical world has forgotten all about mothers. Another good thing to be informed about is the, the presence of obstetrical fistula in the developing world. It's something that disappeared 150 years ago in the developed world, but still enormously, shamefully common in the developing world. We need to be informed on these issues, look them up on the internet, make more noise about them, do something for mothers. Because we've got to build that civilization of love to transmit values. John Paul II liked to say that every man coming into the world is entrusted to the care of a woman. She's the one who teaches him how to love. The woman humanizes culture. So every man is entrusted to a mother. In a document of John Paul II <clears throat> called The Mission in the Church and in the World of Lay People, it says every human being is entrusted to each and every other human being. But in a special way, the human being is entrusted to woman. Precisely because the woman, in virtue of her special experience of motherhood, is seen to have a specific sensibility towards the human person. Other writers have said that the position which women occupy in society is a primary barometer of the cultural and human level of its people. A famous French saying says that the worth of a country can be gauged by the work of its women. In Christian literature, the most beautiful things are said about women in Dante, in Shakespeare, in Dickens, in Claudel. French writer says there's no such thing as an old woman. Any woman at any age, when she is good and when she loves, can give a man a taste of the infinite. The concept of Donna Angelica, woman as an angel in the Divine Comedy, is a typical expression of the Christian concept of womanhood and of motherhood. And in our world today, well, radical feminism often looks for the complete abolition of the traditional division of roles between men and women. They reject motherhood and marriage and the family. And even when a woman can achieve great greatness and recognition in the intellectual and artistic domain, the fact remains that their supreme creativity is to be found in the unique privilege granted them of giving birth to a human person. Chesterton said that no one staring at that frightful female privilege can quite believe in the equality of the sexes. And so good and gentle God, we pray in gratitude for our mothers today 
and for all the women who have joined with you in the wonder of bringing forth new life. You who became human through a woman, grant to all mothers the courage they need to face the uncertain future that life with children always brings. And in a recent apostolic exhortation on the joy of love, Pope Francis has said that motherhood is the fruit of a particular creative potential of the female body, directed to the conception and birth of a new human being. Every woman shares in the mystery of creation, which is renewed with each birth. The psalmist says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. He said, every child growing within the mother's womb is part of the eternal loving plan of God the Father. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. And so each child has a place in God's heart from all eternity. Once he or she is conceived, the creator's eternal dream comes true. Let us pause to think of the great value of that embryo from the moment of conception. We just need to see it with the eyes of God, who always looks beyond mere appearances. And elsewhere in the same document, he says, with great affection, I urge all future mothers, keep happy and let nothing rob you of the interior joy of motherhood. Your child deserves your happiness. Don't let fears, worries, other people's comments or problems lessen your joy at being, at being God's means of bringing a new life into the world. Prepare yourself for the birth of your child, but without obsessing. And join in Mary's song of joy. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit exults in God, my saviour. For he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Try to experience the serene excitement. Amid all your many concerns. And ask the Lord to preserve your joy. So that you can pass it on to your child. He says mothers are the strongest antidote to the spread of self-centred individualism. It is they who testify to the beauty of life. Certainly a society without mothers would be dehumanized. Her mothers are always, even in the worst of times, witnesses to tenderness, dedication, and moral strength. Mothers often communicate the deepest meaning of religious practice in the first prayers and acts of devotion that their children learn. Without mothers, not only would there be no new faithful, but the faith itself would lose a good part of its simple and profound warmth. Dear mothers, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in your family and for what you give to the church and the world. And Pope St. John Paul says, the supreme dignity of the mother of God puts her in a world apart. She's the great wonder work of God. 
She stands above all beings in the universe. Through her vocation, she enjoys an unprecedented intimacy with the three divine persons. The foundation of the mystery of Mary lies in her divine motherhood. All her privileges are linked to that. Her divine maternity is an unparalleled privilege. No greater union is possible between humanity and the deity. And so Mary, on this day, when we honour all mothers, we turn to you. We thank the Lord whom you serve for the great gift of motherhood. Never has it been known that anyone who sought your intercession was left unaided by grace. Dear Mother, thank you for your yes to the invitation of the angel, which brought heaven to earth and changed human history. You opened yourself to God's word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Dear Mother, intercede for all our mothers. Ask your divine Son to give them the grace of surrendered love, so that they could join with you in giving their own fiat. May they find daily strength to say yes to the call of the sacrificial love, the very heart of the vocation of motherhood. May their love and witness be a source of great inspiration for all of us called to follow your son. And so on this Mother's Day, Mother of the Word incarnate, pray for us who have recourse to you. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.